You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radios, KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast from KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, and many others, along with Radio Sputnik, five days a week. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com here for a uh, another thrilling jam-packed action adventure hour uh, as a matter of fact uh, and some good news today for a change how do, how often does that happen oh i hope you all are okay by the way oh i hope you've been all right over the past 48 hours without the patriot act is everybody okay? Des, are you okay? Um, I think I'm all right. That's Desi Doyen. Let me, let, me, let me check. She's uh, over at near the windows. She's putting up saran wrap and duct tape. You, you okay? You all right? I think I am. Okay, good. We haven't had the Patriot Act for the last uh, 24, 48 hours in this country. I don't know how most of us are surviving without mass surveillance of, uh, of all of our uh, phone calls and emails, but somehow we have made it through... And we've got uh, we've got some good news as we go to air. It lo- and I say and an emphasis on some good news, some good news concerning uh, the replacement for the Patriot Act. Don't worry, it's also patriotic. It's called the USA Freedom Act. It has now cleared the U.S. Senate as we go to air. It had uh, cleared the U.S. House. Uh, some days ago, and it now heads to the president for signing. We will talk about. That bill, and uh, if it's okay for you to take the uh, duct tape and saran wrap, uh, saran wrap off your windows, talk about that in a moment. We've also got an update today on the resignation in disgrace of federal judge Mark Fuller. We talked about that at uh, some length yesterday, uh, and as we have really for the past year on this show, one of the few. Outlets who have been talking about it, uh, federal judge Mark Fuller, who was arrested last August for beating his wife in a Ritz-Carlton hotel in Atlanta. Uh, according to a statement from the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, uh, they described him as uh, ready to resign in shame on August 1st. And that he will, uh, at least unless something changes. But will he receive his federal retirement pension thereafter? That was one of the questions we had yesterday. This guy has 
has had his caseload reassigned since being arrested for beating his wife in an Atlanta hotel room last year. He is a U.S. federal judge, a U.S. district judge from the Middle District of Alabama. He was most famous for uh, sending uh, former Democratic Governor Don Siegelman up the river for seven years, even while uh, escaping any real accountability for being arrested after beating his wife in an Atlanta hotel room. Did I mention that? Yeah, I think you did. Federal judge. He had his cases reassigned since last August, but uh, so he has done no work. However, he makes $200,000 a year, can only be removed if he resigns or uh, in an act of uh, impeachment by Congress. So he's received, since not doing any work on any cases since last year, he's received about $170,000 by my math. <clears throat> will receive another 30000 for doing nothing between now and the time he resigns in shame on August 1. But the question was, will he receive federal retirement pension thereafter? Did he strike a deal in exchange for his, for his resignation, which he, he said he would not do over the past 10 months, and his uh, attorney uh, told me as much that he was innocent, he'd be cleared by this investigation. This investigation has not cleared him. This investigation has now found that he um, committed uh, potentially impeachable offenses. And uh, so anyway, we, we now have an answer, I believe, to whether he will uh, receive his retirement pension for the rest of his life. I know you will want to buckle up to talk about to hear about that. We'll be uh, talking about that in a little bit. And we will be joined, uh, I hope, here by uh, Becky Bond, the political director at Credo Action. Credo Action is one of the groups who has been calling for Judge Fuller's impeachment. And uh, she uh, uh, and, and her organization collected some 135,000 signatures calling for the impeachment of Mark Fuller. So we've got that news coming up and uh, much, much more. Oh, yeah. Desi Doyen will be joining us, as always, with the Green News Report a little bit later. We've now got three new Republicans in the uh, crowded 2016 field. We will do as we have been since these guys are jumping in, both on the Republican side and the Democratic side, where we've got a uh, one new uh, entrant into the race. We've been letting you know what their positions are on climate change. And it's been interesting because, you know, back, uh, what was it? Well, I was going to say four years. seems like four years ago, but it was only 2012 when we right, had the last— Right, it was really not that long ago. Not that ago. long ago. Um, none of the media were asking these affiliates— uh, uh, candidates about uh, their position on climate change. They weren't asking them questions at all. Are they doing better this time, Desi? Well, they're doing so much better. It's 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 a remarkable reversal because in the past, as you noted, media wouldn't ask about it. In fact, Candy Crowley of CNN famously said after the last debate, yes, we had one of those questions for all you climate change people, but uh, we figured that the gas uh, prices were more important. You know, the, the short-term spike in mm -hmm. gas prices at the time. So now it does seem like climate change is a thing, according to the media, and they are now asking actively about it. Sometimes. Sometimes. We'll see. Well, they certainly are better than 2012. No question about it. But in case they're not clear... 
about the climate change positions on these uh, various candidates who could uh, very well lead the free world once elected in 2016, we thought it would be a good idea if we kept you up to date on exactly what the positions were for these candidates. So we'll have uh, three uh, new Republicans and one new Democrat. We'll talk about that in our Green News report a little bit later. And believe it or not, the Republic on the Republican side here, their positions with this particular group are a little bit more nuanced than the past Republicans we have covered who have entered the race. There's uh, three of them. One of them is not nuanced. And I'll, I'll guess I'll let you figure out which one uh, he is, who's a complete denier. He thinks it's a complete hoax. Rick Santorum. So we will talk about that in a bit. Also, uh, the worst May on record around the globe for extreme weather. So uh, lots to get to and uh, much more. But uh, first, I want to get to this uh, breaking news on the USA Freedom Act, because it's uh, it's interesting. Speaking about nuance and this bill has has cut across party lines. Um, it has cut across uh, the opinions of advocacy groups, some in favor, some against it. Let's start with the political side here for the moment. Uh, the USA Freedom Act has now passed the U.S. Senate as we go to air, and it will be on its way to the White House. And it replaces some or rewrites, I suppose, some of the most controversial sections of the Patriot Act. The U.S. Patriot Act, which was passed after 9-11, has been in place ever since, allows the government to do all kinds of things, including track all of your phone calls, all of your emails, no matter whether you're a, uh, a a terrorist or related to one or have ever talked to one or not, they can gobble up everything in these mass uh, dragnets under Section 215 of the Patriot Act. The Freedom Act will now change that. We'll talk about some of those specifics in a moment. But on the political side... <clears throat> This has turned into a very had turned into a very interesting battle. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell started the debate over surveillance reforms with a clear plan in mind: defeat the House-backed USA Freedom Act and extend the status quo. Basically, keep the Patriot Act going, according to Steve Bennon over at Matto Blog. When that plan failed spectacularly. McConnell moved to his hastily thrown together backup plan to amend the USA Freedom Act to make it more conservative. And then as of this afternoon, writes Steve Bennon, that strategy flopped, too. This was really one of the most extraordinary defeats for a uh, for a Senate majority leader that we have seen in a while. Bennon writes that in an amusing twist, the Senate fight featured a tense showdown between two ostensible allies, Kentucky Republican Mitch McConnell and Kentucky Republican Rand Paul. The former saw the, the bipartisan House bill as going too far, while Rand Paul argued that the uh, or the other way around, uh, while Mitch McConnell argued that the House bill didn't go far enough. And then as the dust settled on Capitol Hill, both GOP senators managed to walk away with defeats and neither got what they wanted. The final vote on the House bill, which uh, did enjoy President Obama's backing and was crafted in part with the NSA's input, was 67 to 32. So 
Uh, McConnell, uh, you know, thought that this was going to let the terrorists win. Whereas Republican Rand Paul feels that this bill is still too intrusive. In effect, the new bill, soon to be law, gets the government out of the business of housing and storing the metadata that is that is collected by the NSA, the call records, the email records, and so forth. And now that will be that data will no longer be kept with the government. It will now be kept with back uh, as it used to be with the private phone companies and so forth. And if the government wants to get to it, they have to go to the Secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, the FISA court, and tell the court why they want to get at that information and make the case for it as well, the Freedom Act, if I understand it correctly. And I hope hopefully we'll get someone to talk about this a little bit further, the, the bill that actually did pass. Uh, in the next few days, if I understand it, this will now allow for uh, an opponent to actually be at the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, the secret court that used to, uh, well, it will still run in complete secret, but it was only the government there to argue their case. There was nobody there to oppose the case. Now there will be someone there, apparently, uh, to uh, oppose the case if the court uh, asks for that, I believe. So there's still some questions here, and we spoke with uh, Marcy Wheeler, who who covers these uh, issues of national security very closely. Uh, spoke with uh, her over from Empty Wheel a few weeks back, and she was not happy with the Freedom Act. I guess she goes with uh, Rand Paul on this one, at least. The um, she said that you know the the the, the major difference, at least in that uh, section 215, is that instead of the government being able to search for anything they want, now they will have to put in more than one search term. So they'll have to look up, uh, you know, California and Brad Friedman in order to find me and in order to, uh, you know, rather than just, oh, California, and get everyone's uh, records out of the state of California. So there are still some questions about this, um, but on the political side, uh, Benin, Benin writes that this was one of the worst defeats for a sitting Senate majority leader that we've seen in a long while. Not only did a bill McConnell intended to kill end up passing, but his own members dis- derailed his own amendments, which he insisted were necessary for national security. McConnell appeared livid this afternoon on the floor, writes Steve Bennon. It's easy to understand why. He picked an important fight, went several rounds, and lost them all. Well done. Well, it reminds me of John Boehner over in the, over in the House, uh, who is doing a terrible job wrangling his own people on the... Uh, uh, substance, the context side of, content side of this... Over at the uh, Brennan Center for Justice, NYU's Brennan Center for Justice, their Liberty and National Security Program. Uh, And these are good guys. These are usually good guys over at the Brennan Center. They usually get this right. Uh, They applauded the passage of the USA Freedom Act today. Elizabeth uh, Goitin, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program there at the Brennan Center, said for the first time since 9-11, Congress has placed significant limits on the government's ability to spy on Americans. Once signed into law, the USA Freedom Act will end 
the NSA's indiscriminate collection of Americans' phone records. If faithfully implemented, it will also narrow the collection of other types of business records under Section 215 and other foreign intelligence authorities. It will introduce a measure of transparency into FISA court decisions and give the court's judges the option of conducting more balanced proceedings. <laughs> Just the option. It's up to the judges. Oh, I hope the judge is Mark Fuller. I'm sure he'll want more balance. What? What? He's resigning? Oh, okay, good. Uh, these reforms are an important first step, says uh, Goitin, uh, but that does not mean Congress can wash its hands of these issues and move on. Congress must vigilantly monitor the executive branch's implementation of this law to ensure that the law's intent is respected. Oh, I'm sure Congress will be vigilantly monitoring. Nothing to worry about. Congress also must address the question of what happens to all the information about innocent Americans that will continue to be collected, quote, incidentally, under these and other authorities. Most crucially, Congress must turn to the mass surveillance programs not touched by USA Freedom, including the collection of international calls and emails under Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act and Executive Order 12333. So, basically... The government's going to get to do what they want to do anyway. Isn't that doesn't that sound like what it even from the civil liberties experts who were supporting these changes? Uh, folks like uh, Marcy Wheeler, folks like Elizabeth Goitin, who's at Brennan Center, who, who lauds this act. She still says, yeah, but the government's going to pretty much get to do what they want to do anyway. So it's a something is better than nothing situation. Something is better, as the rabbis say. Something is better than nothing. Very nice. That's well. We'll go with that for now. Something is better than nothing. Uh, but listen, uh, maybe this breaks the uh, breaks the logjam. Remember, since nine eleven, since the passage of the Patriot Act, which someone was able to pull out of a drawer from somewhere, thousands of pages, and have ready to go almost immediately. Magic. Yes, by magic. Uh, also, by the way, a lot of this was. Was, was a bill that actually Bill Clinton wanted to pass and the Republicans wouldn't allow it before 9-11. That was too intrusive. Then after 9-11, let's pass it. Get it out of that drawer. Find that old Clinton bill. So um, this is the first real change we have seen since 9-11. So I'm going to go with that for now. I'm going to go with the uh, optimistic something is better than nothing uh, theory on this. Now, I have a question about this. Yes. I mean, wasn't it just back in 2013 that the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, was telling Congress that, no, the NSA yes. does not do bulk collection? Yes. And, of course, then Edward Snowden leaked the documents that showed, yes, the NSA is doing this kind of bulk collection. Correct. So it seems like we've just sort of gone right over that part where we actually say, hey, wait a second. Everybody's acting like, yeah, of course the NSA does bulk collection. And that, that, that idea And that of, they lie about it. And, and that, that they, the, the, right. the, the, the country's top security official, I don't know what the hell we call this guy, James Clapper, that he's allowed to just blatantly lie to Congress and not be held accountable. Meanwhile, Edward Snowden, who let us know what was actually going on, is still locked away in Russia who can't leave uh, because he'll be arrested by the United States of America, which is, you know, had him on his on, on their watch list, on their terrorist list. I mean, remember, they used to call him a terrorist. Joe Biden, uh, you know, w was referring to uh, Edward Snowden as a terrorist. 
Chelsea Manning is locked up for 30 years for telling us what our government was doing, but our government knows everything that we're doing, and then they lie about it to Congress, which is illegal, and there are no consequences. Is that what you're talking about, Desi Doyle? That is what I'm talking about. Thank you. I just I just wanted to make sure that I was right about that, that it was just, you know, a scant year and a half ago that yeah. it was the most scandalous thing in the world to discuss NSA bulk collection of data. And now it's routinely referred to in all of these articles as if, you know, oh, yeah, sure. We would appreciate if you didn't notice that, Desi. Do you mind? <laughs> Keep that to yourself from now on. Just quit reminding people yes, of stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, speaking of uh, not reminding people of stuff, we also talked yesterday on on the program at some length about this uh, indictment of Denny Hastert, uh, who was allegedly attempting to uh, conceal some uh, sexual tr tryst from many, many years ago. Uh, very strange uh, indictment. And, and one of the things we discussed yesterday was how at uh, bradblog.com years ago, when we were covering the disclosures of FBI translator turned whistleblower Sibel Edmonds, that she had talked about wiretaps that she claims to have seen at the uh, at the uh, FBI when she was a translator there after 9-11 that concerned Danny Hastert and concerned foreign agents knowing what he was up to, knowing about his immoral acts, as she described, certain immoral acts, as she described them, and that he was you know, possibly the victim of, uh, of, of uh, blackmail and bribery. And then, of course, it turns out somebody was apparently trying to extort uh, about $3.5 million from him, and he had paid off $1.7 of that to whoever this individual A is. We don't yet know who that is. And he was lying about it to the FBI, so he's being uh, indicted for that. But um, a strange element here, before we get to a break, uh, strange element, uh, nobody has heard from Denny Hastert since this indictment. He has given no statement. He, uh, No lawyer has spoken on his behalf. And, you know, you almost always hear uh, either the, uh, the alleged uh, perpetrator in these cases come out and you know, declare their innocence and how they intend to fight vigorously these charges. This is a very powerful guy, remember, or at least he was. He was the U.S. House Speaker, the longest serving Republican U.S. House Speaker in American history. And he hasn't made a statement and his lawyer hasn't made a statement. Why? Well, because nobody knows if he actually even has a lawyer at this point. He has not even yet lawyered up to our knowledge. Now, he was supposed to be arraigned on uh, Thursday of this week, supposed to appear in court to respond to these charges, uh, but and theoretically with an attorney in tow, but nobody has uh, spoken for him. And now that arrangement uh, arraignment set, uh, set for Thursday is being moved back until, um, let's see, next week. It'll be uh, June 9, it looks like. Uh, the uh, former speaker has yet to comment on the charges. He has not been seen in public since the indictment, and nobody even knows if he has an attorney. This is a really weird story. This was already a weird story. It's turning into an even weirder story. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back with that update in the uh, Mark Fuller case, who uh, is resigning in shame, according to the uh, U.S. House Judiciary Committee, their bipartisan statement. I'll read you that in full. 
And we may have learned once and for all whether that judge who was uh, arrested for beating his wife will, in fact, receive a federal retirement pension for the rest of his lives, even after resigning in grace. And we'll disgrace. And we'll speak with uh, Becky Bond of uh, Credo Action about all of the above. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with you with actually some good news out of Alabama for a change. At least I think we spoke yesterday, of course, about the uh, the announced resignation of Mark Fuller, the uh, judge, federal U.S. district judge who was arrested for beating his wife last August in an Atlanta hotel and uh, who, who said he would not resign, refused to resign. Uh, and without his own voluntary uh, resignation, he would go on to serve in his lifetime appointment. $200,000 a year salary, lifetime appointment can only be removed uh, with an act of Congress, an act of impeachment by the U.S. House. Well, after the uh, last 10 months now where he has been uh, saying, oh, I'm totally innocent, I'm not leaving, the 11th Circuit U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has uh, had convened a panel to investigate the matter. They took uh, witness testimony. They've been spending many months. It actually took much longer than anybody thought it was going to. Uh, back in April, after well after everyone thought the investigation was done by the Eleventh Circuit, they actually called in more witnesses. We still don't know what happened in those in that testimony. We don't know exactly yet what they were looking at. But on Monday, the Eleventh Circuit. Uh, Court of Appeals Judicial Council announced that they had found what they described as grounds of impeachment against Mark Fuller, federal U.S. District Judge from the Middle District of Alabama. And as it turns out, the U.S. House Judiciary Committee was standing by, even with their uh, Republican, mind, mind you, Mark Fuller was a Republican appointee, appointed uh, by George W. Bush back in 2002. So now uh, the majority-led U.S. House Judiciary Committee, uh, led by Chairman Bob Goodlatte of Virginia and uh, ranking Democratic member John Conyers, they were ready to uh, begin impeachment hearings if it was uh, recommended by the uh, Judiciary Council, by the U.S. courts. And they had budgeted for it and everything else. Well, now it looks like it looks like they will not have to impeach since Fuller announced his resignation finally over the weekend. Just before the uh, 11th Circuit uh, came out, concluded their investigation and said, yeah, it looks like uh, there are grounds for impeachment here. One or more grounds for impeachment. The question, however, remained, would Judge Fuller. Uh, get a sweet deal. He wasn't old enough to retire. He hadn't served for 15 years on the bench. He had only served for 12 years. But there are certain uh, circumstances under which he can get a, a deal with the courts, basically, in exchange for stepping down. And it was unclear whether he had made a deal. And now I think we know he has not made a deal and he will not receive 
retirement benefits for the rest of his life. Goodlatte and Conyers, on behalf of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, put out a statement today saying, quote, It is a rare occasion when the U.S. Congress impeaches a federal judge and removes the accused from the bench, but it is a necessary tool to protect the integrity of our judicial system. However, they said, the House Judiciary Committee was prepared to initiate impeachment proceedings against Judge Fuller pending the recommendation of the, of the Judicial Conference of the United States, and the committee strongly encouraged the courts to expedite the investigation into Judge Fuller's misconduct. The uh, Congress members uh, said once it became clear that the 11th Circuit would issue an order that Judge Fuller's conduct could constitute grounds for impeachment, Judge Fuller decided to resign in shame. This is an official statement. Love that. Once his resignation becomes effective, Fuller will not qualify for either a judicial salary or be eligible for a judicial pension. If Judge Fuller does not resign on August 1st, as stated in his re resignation letter, the House Judiciary Committee will consider whether impeachment is warranted once the Judicial Conference issues its final report. So that seems to be conclusive information uh, that uh, Judge Fuller will not continue to uh, receive taxpayer funds for the rest of his life despite being arrested for beating his wife. Uh, that seems to be the good news. Here to talk about this uh, now uh, is uh, the, the campaign manager at CredoAction.com. Heidi Hess joins us. Credo Action uh, had been one of the groups who had been calling for the impeachment of Judge Fuller and, uh, in fact, had collected some 135,000 uh, signatures, I believe, calling for that uh, uh, impeachment. And Credo had also filed one of the complaints with the 11th Circuit uh, uh, Court of Appeals, the complaint that led to the finding that he may have committed impeachable offenses. Heidi Hess from Credo Action joins us now. Hey, Heidi, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for uh, all you guys are doing at Credo and the uh, the complaint that you filed, the uh, signatures, uh, the, you know, the way you kept this in the news when other, uh, when really no, very few folks in the media were doing so. Are you... Uh, happy now is credo happy are you happy with what seems to be uh nearing a final resolution in this uh, in this matter of mark fuller judge mark fuller we definitely are um i think like you said nearing is still a little bit of a caveat but right. um we absolutely you know feel like uh you know domestic abuse needs to be an impeachable offense and it seems like um the judiciary committee statement today affirms that um, you know, should he have gotten paid for nine, ten months and getting be getting two more months of salary? We mm -hmm. don't think so. Um, but you know, if he didn't get a if he didn't get a deal and he's going to be gone, that's great. It is great. I I am worried. You know, uh, I, we talked about it a bit on the show yesterday. Didn't get to mention it today, but you know, he was uh, arrested in a state court in uh, in Georgia and. Because the judge felt that this was a first-time offense, and there's evidence that this might not have been a first-time offense right. uh, for Judge Fuller, uh, he was given this uh, pretrial diversion uh, where he had, what, 24 weeks of therapy, once a week uh, domestic abuse therapy, and then had his entire record expunged as right. if it never happened. How, how do you guys feel about that at, uh, at Credo? Well, I think it's an example of the way that domestic violence isn't taken seriously enough. 
um, especially for people who have power. Um, you know, Judge Fuller, that happened to Judge Fuller at the same time that that happened with Ray Rice mm-hmm. uh, of the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and, you know, diversion programs are generally not used for violent offenses. They're used very, very infrequently, but we see that they get used for men who have power um, when they uh, commit domestic abuse. And, you know, the prosecutors have to do better than that. Um, and hold those men just as accountable as they hold sort of, you know, more average uh, people who are committing those same crimes. Do you think he got that sweet deal, as uh, one federal judge described it as a sweet deal in Georgia? Uh, Do you think he got that sweet deal uh, because he was a a powerful uh, male white guy? You know, I have no idea. Right, I mean, okay. powerful and male and white guy. That's a lot of power, <laughs> right, in our yeah. society. Um, I, I don't think we'll ever know, but I think certainly, you know, we know that behind the scenes. I mean, he's a federal judge and he's in a court in his district, you know, in his region. Mm-hmm. So certainly, there's probably a lot of um, relationship and behind closed doors conversations happening that we can't know about. It does. What happens here now is a a vacancy on that. And I don't know if Credo has been following this, but there's a vacancy now, not just his, uh, but apparently there's like four other senior. uh, Yeah. Vacancies on the uh, federal court in Alabama. Uh, Do you have any idea what the holdup is? And is this uh, something that uh, is that where this uh, campaign needs to move now to fill the uh, judiciary, fill the judgeships in uh, in Alabama with the uh, absence of Mark Fuller and friends? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Um, Filling judicial vacancies has been a a campaign that I've actually also worked on for Mm -hmm. Credo. It's something that's been important to us for a long time. Um, there's there's a ton of judicial vacancies still, um, and one of the reasons that there are is because uh, Republican senators have hesitated to nominate judges that um, have to be um, approved by President Obama. Um, there's some speculation that they're just holding out to see who wins in 2016 and if they can push people, push judges onto the bench who have a more conservative bent. Um, we ran a big campaign uh, during the lame duck. Um, to try to push for as many judicial nominees to be um, to be uh, um, confirmed before the Senate fell into Republican hands in January, mm-hmm. um, so they they did a bunch, but there's still a lot more to do. Well, there is a lot more to do, and it does appear to be uh, in in Alabama, where Senator Jeff Sessions and uh, Richard Shelby, by the way, both of whom had approved of Mark Fuller back when he was appointed back in 2002, that now they're holding up the Obama administration, uh, you know, but by not agreeing to anyone. And uh, I think you're right. I think they may be trying to run out the clock here until the next president comes in in hopes that, oh, maybe it'll be a Republican and they can install another fine conservative jurist like Mark Fuller, who was arrested for beating his wife. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, the uh, the campaigns that you guys ran, 135 uh, activists signed on to impeach uh, Mark Fuller. Is, is that an unusual turnout uh, for one of your campaigns? And and what was the response that uh, you got from uh, uh, members of Congress uh, when you delivered? Th- Did you ever actually deliver those signatures, by the way? We delivered them mm-hmm. um, by mail mm-hmm. to uh, the House Judiciary Committee, and we also um, had about had over 500 activists make calls to, com- to um, committee chair Goodlot 
um, urging him to begin impeachment proceedings, not to wait for the 11th Circuit. Um, so I'd say that's, that's a big turnout for us. Um, it's not, you know, we had 120,000 who also took action I, on our uh, campaign to get judicial nominees through during the lame duck. Mm-hmm. So th- these are issues that our um, activists care about. Um, we had around the same number also pushing against Congress passing an abortion ban that the House passed a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, you know, it, these are, you know, these are campaigns that are generally pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you have any idea, because it was Credo, w- was one of the groups, I guess, who filed the complaint with the 11th Circuit uh, uh, ju- Judicial Conference, um, they say they have completed the report and they're passing it on now to the U.S. Uh, uh, judicial... Boy, I always have trouble. There's the Judicial right. Conference and then the Judicial Judicial Council. Uh, they're passing it on to the U.S. Judicial Council, I guess, now. Uh, but will they be... Uh, do you have any idea if you, Credo, since you filed an ethics complaint against this judge that they were looking into, will Credo be given a copy of the final report? Do you have any idea? Have you had any communication from the 11th Circuit whatsoever? We've talked to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked. We got some communication that they had filed the report. We asked to see a copy of it, and they let us know that at that point it was a confidential report. Um, so we don't know if they'll make a change now that it's been sent on, and we'll let us see that or not. So we don't know yet. Boy, I hope you uh, raise hell to try to get this. Uh, I'm not kidding, whether it's a a Freedom of Information Act uh, that needs to be. I mean, you filed the complaint. They do an investigation. It seems to me they ought to respond to your complaint with this report, especially when the report concludes that they've got, you know, a a guy out there who's... uh, uh, you know, committed potentially impeachable offenses. And as you may remember, Heidi Hess, the um, uh, Don Siegelman, right. the former governor who was sent to jail by this judge who remains in jail now, uh, he had sent me a, a, a statement some time ago and referenced his work in Alabama concerning battered women. And the fact that uh, there was a woman who he had met while he was governor who had talked about, uh, you know, being battered. They tried to help, you know, get her away from her husband. And she ended up dead. And his point was that, you know, these men tend to be repeat offenders. And there's evidence that, you know, Judge Fuller was a repeat offender. And if the courts have information that there's a guy out there who's a repeat uh, offender, a wife beater out there. It seems to me that ought to be uh, public information or, or you know, uh, law enforcement ought to know about it. And I don't know if we get to that information unless you guys raise hell and, and get that report out of that uh, 11th Circuit. Yeah. Well, we'll try. All right. They, we'll keep trying. All right. And then I hope you'll slip it to uh, bradblog.com so we can get the exclusive on that. <laughs> right. Heidi, uh, Heidi Hess, campaign manager uh, at uh, credoaction.com. You guys have been doing terrific work for years. I thank you for that. And uh, I, I hope everyone will check out what you're doing at credoaction.com. Uh, thanks. Uh, maybe we got maybe we got a win here for a change, Heidi. Yeah, it would be great. That would be. All right. Thank you very much, Heidi Hess from CredoAction.com. We're going to take a quick break and come back with much more broadcast, including Desi Doyen and the Green News Report and, uh, oh, whatever else we have time for on our table here. I'm Brad. Stay tuned.
This is Joseph Siegelman, son of the wrongly imprisoned former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. We are, as always, melting for Desi Doyen. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, Desi, uh, stand by for the Green News Report. Okay. Uh, they're melting, by the way, up in Alaska, aren't they? Oh, it my is. gosh, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible what's going on, the extreme weather around the world. But we'll also have uh, the positions of the... Uh, the new entrance into the uh, Republican and Democratic race for president uh, coming up shortly in our Green News Report. My thanks to Heidi Hess from uh, CredoAction.com for joining us to talk about that Judge Fuller mess. But at least we've got some uh, good news there. Uh, as I say, we, we had talked a little bit about the, uh, the vacancies on the uh, federal courts in Alabama. And in fact, back in, let's see, where was this? April. The Montgomery Advertiser wrote that negotiations on filling three judicial vacancies in Alabama have dragged on more than 18 months, even with a fourth vacancy coming in May. This was, of course, before uh, Judge Fuller announced his plan to resign. Alabama Democrats and Rep. Terry Sewell of Birmingham have recommended several names to the White House, but President Barack Obama's staff is still consulting with Alabama's two Republican senators, Jeff Sessions and Richard Shelby, who can block action on judicial nominees from their state. So with Mark Fuller's retirement, that means as of August 1, when he, when he steps down, Alabama will have five judicial vacancies with another already set for 2016, when another judge will retire. So five at least vacancies, uh, maybe six coming up uh, in the following year. And uh, you've got Republicans now in charge of the Senate who can hold this up forever if they want until they get a president that is more to their liking. Uh, and, well, that's how, how this goes. That seems remarkable to me. That means that those mm -hmm. judicial positions will be left vacant right. until at least January, at the earliest, January 2017. I mean, that's a year and a half. Is not justice delayed considered justice denied? I mean, does that mean that these people's trials will be delayed? Not in the Republican Party. Justice delayed is just justice apparently to the republican party who just does not want to fill these uh these judgeships because we know these you know these guys have an extraordinary amount of power they have a lifetime appointment and uh you know the federal judiciary is very powerful as far as how our laws are uh you know interpreted in this country including things like you know civil rights like gay marriage oh, same-sex yeah. marriage in yeah. 37 states now because yeah. of federal judges declaring these uh, anti-same-sex marriage laws to be unconstitutional. So that's a major difference. That's a major point where it shows that the judiciary is very important when it comes to protecting rights. You and your rights. Uh, okay, We've speaking of rights, uh, Scott Walker's new restrictive voting laws up in Wisconsin are now being challenged by Hillary Clinton's attorney, 
uh, election attorney Mark Elias uh, is suing the uh, state of Wisconsin over a number of voting reforms up there that were that uh, he says or that the uh, complaint says were intended to burden, abridge and deny and have had and will have the effect of burdening, abridging and denying the voting rights of Wisconsinites generally and of African-American, Latino, young and or Democratic voters in Wisconsin in particular. Walker and uh, the Republicans up there uh, since uh, he came to office in 2010 have put in all kinds of restrictions on the uh, on the franchise, shortening voting days, uh, early uh, election days, uh, and of course the big uh, photo ID restrictions and much more, when you can vote, where you can vote, all of that. And they're not about to change that, not when Scott Walker is running for president up there and they want to make sure he does well. So that is being challenged in court by Mark Elias, uh, who is a general counsel to the Clinton campaign. I don't believe he's filing this law officially on behalf of the Clinton campaign. but he, And he filed a, a similar law last month against voting restrictions passed in, the, uh, in Ohio by Republican Governor John Kasich. So the legal battles for 2016 and the right to vote are underway. Have they ever stopped being underway? In the meantime, up in Vermont... Some good news, that state has uh, is, is now, they had a bill signing ceremony earlier this week. Governor Pete Shumlin signed Senate Bill 29, which places same-day registration into effect on Election Day at every polling location in the Green Mountain State. With this action, says uh, Demos, uh, Vermont joins 14 states and the District of Columbia in offering same-day registration. These forward-looking states, as uh, Demos describes them, are leading the charge in changing how elections operate in the 21st century. So if you're not uh, registered to vote on Election Day, you can still show up and you can still vote, as it should be. As I've long said, restriction uh, registration is not meant to ensure people get to vote it's meant to keep people from voting and so now with the ability to register on election day up in vermont well maybe that's good news for bernie sanders at least uh but it's also it's good news for voters of vermont vermont's entry into the fold of same-day registration states warrants a hearty salute says demos and hopefully signals to other states that if the true end of governance is creating and maintaining a representative democracy, more pro-voter changes are due. And now. Yes, please. How about every state in the union? How about universal registration? How about if you become 18 years of age or older, you are registered to vote in this country? You mean like they already do in Oregon? That they now do in Oregon as of only uh, about like, a month or so ago. Right. And somehow, some way, Oregon has not collapsed. Well, it will. It will. Just don't you uh, don't you worry your little head about that. Uh, the uh, acorn, they're already heading out. All those acorn people, they're already heading out to commit voter fraud across the state of. See, I can't even say that, <laughs> can I? Because I'm just reinforcing that lie. Acorn for those. Uh, right wing uh, loon balls who watch Fox News all the time or even uh, Democrats who, who hear about the nonsense that Fox News uh, reports. No, Acorn, 
There is not a single, there is no evidence of any vote ever having been uh, fraudulently cast due to an improper ACORN registration ever, anywhere, ever. That was a big scam by right-wingers, a big scam that the media fell for, that even the White House uh, fell for and Democrats fell for because they stopped funding ACORN, this 40-year-old community organizing group that had registered millions of low- and middle-income Americans uh, uh, to vote, to participate in their democracy. Nonetheless, uh, Democrats and Obama signed the bill that defunded them, and uh, ACORN then went out of business, unfortunately. All right, uh, let's get to it. Are you ready? Yes. Are we set? All right, let's do it. Our latest Green News Report. I am running for president of the United States. I'm a candidate for the Republican nomination. I'm running for president of the United States. More Republicans enter the crowded 2016 race. We'll tell you their positions on climate change, even if they won't. I am a candidate for president of the United States. Another Democrat jumps in. Plus, May 2015 breaks new records for extreme weather. All of those broken records straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Problem is Al Gore's turned this thing into a religion. Yeah, good idea. Just blame Al Gore. Good leadership, Lindsey Graham. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we've got three Republicans and one Democrat who have entered the 2016 race over the past week. Yes, we do. But first, May 2015 is now in the record books as one of the most extreme for extreme weather. In Texas and Oklahoma, where at least 31 people have died in storms just since Memorial Day weekend, it wasn't only the wettest month of May on record, but it was also the wettest month ever for both states. The National Weather Service calculates that storms dumped enough rain on Texas in May to cover the entire state in water eight inches deep. Wow, and that's no small thing. Right. If you've ever driven across Texas, there's a saying, the sun has risen, the sun has set, and here we is in Texas yet. That's a lot of water. Yep. Eight inches across that entire state. It is the opposite extreme in India. That persistent, intense heat wave is now entering its third week, and the death toll has now passed 2,300 people. It is now the fifth deadliest heat wave in world history. Oh, man. Well, none of that, however, impresses the current crop of Republican candidates for president of the United States, it seems to me. That's right. There is no drought of candidates in the Republican race. Three new entrants have entered the already crowded field. And surprise, not all of them are climate science deniers. What? Former senator and now two-time presidential candidate Rick Santorum of Pennsylvania held up a lump of coal to announce his candidacy late last week because his grandfather was a coal miner. Like most GOP candidates, Santorum believes that global warming is not a problem, but he goes even further. He thinks it's a hoax. Here he is with radio host Glenn Beck during the 2012 campaign. What about global warming? There is no such thing as global warming. Well, there it is. There's no such thing as global warming. And the majority of his fellow Republican presidential candidates are saying that climate is always changing. They've now decided to drop the idea that I am not a scientist that they used last year. And now all they say is climate is always changing. Climate's always changing. It gets warmer. It gets colder. Nothing we can do about it. What about Lindsey Graham? 
And George Pataki. George Pataki, who's the former governor of New York State, he stepped into the race late last week. And unlike the rest of the GOP crop, Pataki accepts the science of climate change and accepts that it's man-made. As governor of New York, Pataki initiated the Northeast's very successful regional greenhouse gas initiative. That's a regional cap-and-trade program. However, Pataki told the Boston Globe earlier this year that he does not support federal action to reduce the nation's greenhouse gas emissions, so he'd be unlikely to support an international climate treaty. He says that private corporations and the free market will solve global warming. He wasn't in favor of free market when he put in that regional greenhouse gas initiative as governor in New York. The difference is, however, he left public office before Citizens United happened in 2010. Since then, All Republicans must be climate change deniers. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina on Monday became the ninth Republican to officially enter the 2016 race. Like Governor Pataki, Graham says he accepts the global scientific consensus on man-made global warming, but his actions are mixed. He supported and then abandoned the 2009 Congressional Cap-and-Trade Emissions Bill and At an event in March of this year, he blamed Republican denial of climate change on former Vice President Al Gore. Al Gore has turned this thing into a religion. You know, climate change is not a religious problem for me. It is is an economic, it is an environmental problem. Lindsey Graham was a supporter of climate change legislation before 2010, before Citizens United, and then he abandoned his own bill, which he had co-sponsored in the U.S. Senate. The Democratic field now has a new challenger. Maryland's Democratic former Governor Martin O'Malley announced that he is seeking the 2016 Democratic Party presidential nomination. O'Malley accepts climate science, accepts that it's man-made, and as Maryland governor, he also joined the regional cap-and-trade initiative in the Northeast. He joins fellow Democratic Party candidates, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont in calling for national action on climate change and U.S. leadership internationally. Yeah, but when he was asked about what's the greatest threat the planet faces, first he said a nuclear-armed Iran, and then he split the baby by saying, but uh, as far as natural threat goes, climate change. Good work, Governor. For much more on all of these stories, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Uh, keep running. Keep running. They're all running. Oh, they are all running. And it's interesting to see the analysis of how few of them are given any chance whatsoever of making <laughs> it into it. But, you know, basically everyone's saying, hey, so so why are these people running? It's not like they're running to push anybody further to the right. Oh, they're, they're well, well, one of them's going to win. That's the nomination, Almost yes. guaranteed. Yes, yes, yes. Almost, Although I want to add yeah. really quick, because we, we did not have time to include this, that uh, that heat wave in India is being matched by uh, less deadly, obviously, but still extreme heat wave in Alaska. Alaska hit 91 degrees in one town called Eagle, Alaska. That is the earliest on record in history that Alaska and Alaska City has ever achieved 91 degrees this early in the year. Rick Santorum is not moved by your panicky... Uh, expressions of science. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't care because, you know, like we all say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Facts are facts. Science is science. Physics is physics. The thermometer don't lie. That's uh, that lying uh, thermometer. Desi Doy and our producer. Thank you very <laughs> much, Desi. Uh, my thanks to you and, of course, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. To Heidi Hess of CredoAction.com, I actually had announced that Becky Bond was going to be with us and a last-minute change of plans, so my great thanks to Heidi Hess for jumping in and joining us. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel, tomorrow. If you missed any portion of today's action-packed episode, you can always download the whole thing at bradblog.com uh, or over at uh, Stitcher. Tune in or iTunes, where we hope you will give us a good review, say nice things about us, and help other people find us as well. Until we meet again, you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebook at the Brad Blog, and of course at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.